The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. Copy of God's Word to Jonah chapter 2. Jonah 2. If you don't have a Bible, just stick up your hand. We would love to put one in your hands. Uh, just put it up there so our ushers can see it. If you don't even own a Bible, this is our gift to you. There's nothing uh, of greater worth that we could give you this morning than uh, this Bible. Maybe you just forgot it. You're in a hurry this morning. Um, you can borrow one here uh, as well. But turn into Jonah 2. We're continuing our series, uh, uh, a Relentless, and a message this morning from uh, Jonah 2 entitled Relentless uh, Rescue. And as you turn there, I want to read you a portion of, uh, of, uh, of an article uh, that was posted this past summer on June 13th from the Jerusalem Post. You can read the, the title of the article there, Modern Day Jonah, Cape Cod Diver Swallowed by a Humpback Whale but Escapes. The story of biblical proportions has been thought too good to be true by some who cast doubt on the miraculous escape. This summer, y'all. Happened just this summer. Here, listen to this uh, a portion of the article. It says this, Though there was no voice of God and no Nineveh to save, it is still a tale of almost biblical proportions. A lone lobster diver was swallowed whole by a massive humpback whale, but this modern-day Jonah lived to tell about it. 57-year-old commercial lobster diver Michael Packard had been diving Friday morning off Herring Cove Beach when he was suddenly swallowed into the massive maw of the giant whale, as first reported by the Cape Cod Times. Inside the pitch-black body of the beast, the signs that this was a whale became clear once Packard uh, realized he hadn't suffered any wounds, as he had originally thought it was a great white shark. That, yeah, big difference, uh, I'd say. Yeah. He says this, I was completely inside, it was completely black, Packard said, after his recovery Friday afternoon, according to the Cape Cod Times. I thought to myself, there's no way I'm getting out of here. I'm done. I'm dead. All I could think about was my boys. They're 12 and 15 years old. Trapped inside the metaphorical belly of the beast, Packard began struggling, and soon the whale shook its head, and after 30 to 40 seconds or so, it finally breached, flinging this modern-day Jonah out back into the sea. According to the Cape Cod Times, Packard's crewman, Josiah Mayo, rescued him from the sea and had him evacuated. Before long, he was recovering in Cape Cod Hospital. The incident is highly unusual and would likely have been an accident, according to Juke Robbins, director of, get this, title, Humpback Whale Studies at the Center for Coastal Studies in Provincetown, Cape Cod. A report. It all seems almost unbelievable, but for some that seems to be quite literal, casting doubt that Packard truly dodged death from the jaws of a metaphorical leviathan, end quote from the article. Pretty wild, huh? Makes you think twice about scheduling one of those scuba excursions when you're on a, on a vacation in like the Caribbean or somewhere, doesn't it? Eh, do I want to get in the water? I don't know. Well, you're probably all right if you do. This is, these things like this don't happen all that often. But it's stories like this, and it's stories like, the, uh, like Jonah that capture our imagination, don't they? 
we begin to ask questions like, how did this really happen? Is this even uh, true? Is it possible that uh, this could happen and somebody could be in the belly of a whale? And in our attempts to make sense of all of the details of this, we can even miss the point, especially when it comes to Jonah, when it comes to the biblical narrative. It isn't to wow us with a, a, a man being stuck in the belly of a whale but it is meant to wow us with God's rescue. See, here's an underlying truth all across the scriptures, and it is this, that God rescues those whom he loves. God is relentless in his rescue for us. When we get ourselves swallowed up in our sin, when, uh, when we are, uh, our friends are swallowed up in their sin, God is relentless to rescue us. And so last week we learned in Jonah 1, as, as, as Jonah is running away, that there is no escape from God's relentless mercy. There is no escape from his relentless mercy. And so in chapter 1, you have these two parallel themes of, of, of Jonah's foolishness and running from the Lord and God's relentless mercy to go after this prophet whom he loves. He will not let him go and uses even a fish to swallow him up. So as we come to Jonah 2 today, uh, this, uh, this chapter here highlights for us and teaches us how to pray in light of God's rescue, in light of God's mercy. And so look at your Bible now. I've given you some uh, opening things here, but I want you to read Jonah's prayer uh, with me here. I'll read it. You follow along rather. Uh, but I want to read his prayer of thankfulness that came as a result of his rescue. Listen here as I read it. Jonah 2, beginning in verse 1, says this, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were, were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountain. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Well, this is God's word for God's people. Now, you've heard the word of God, so let me just give you the bottom line up front. It's already been up there on the screen, so maybe you've written it down. But the bottom line from this passage, from this chapter, is simply this. There is no situation beyond God's relentless rescue. If chapter 1 taught us that there is no escape from God's relentless mercy, then chapter 2 here teaches us uh, this fundamental truth, that there is no situation beyond God's relentless rescue. 
Now, with these uh, bottom lines, with these central truths, I'd encourage you just to write them in your Bible. Write them in the margins at the header of the chapter. We'll get one each week this uh, uh, September as we take chapter by chapter through the book of Jonah. But note these things so you never, ever miss them. In the chapter here, we have in the, in the middle uh, Jonah's thankful prayer. But like bookends, again in this chapter, in verse 1, you have the statement that Jonah prays. He prays to the Lord as God from the belly of the fish. And at the end then is the Lord speaking as, as he uh, speaks to the fish. And uh, you got to love that word, right? It vomits Jonah out upon the dry land. That just evokes all kinds of, of great juvenile imagery uh, in our minds, doesn't it? And in between Jonah speaking and praying and the Lord speaking and Jonah being spit out here, in between, like I said, uh, is the thankful prayer of the prophet Jonah for God's relentless rescue. See, church, when all of our efforts are cut off, whether there are efforts in running away from the Lord or all of our efforts in trying to rescue somebody, see, when all of our efforts are cut off, we are never cut off from praying. We're never cut off from praying. Well, there's still breath in our lungs and and an ability in our mind. We can pray. We can pray whether it's we who've been swallowed up because of our sin or we're praying for somebody else whom we love because they have been swallowed up. We always have an arsenal prayer. That's why we love it here. It's why we're a church of unceasing prayer. It's why we uh, depend upon the Lord. It is, our, uh, it is our first resort, not our last resort. Even though when all else is gone, it is what we have even there in the end. And so chapter 2 here, what we've just read, is a model for us uh, that teaches us how to pray. It teaches us how to pray when we find ourselves in these Jonah-like situations. Whether we are Jonah or the one we love is Jonah. And so because we, here's here's what it teaches us how to pray, because we believe that there is no situation beyond God's relentless rescue, we can then, here's your first point, pray with desperation. Because we believe this is true, because we are seeing it play out in Jonah, because God has proved it over and over in our life and through the pages of our Bible, we then pray with a desperation to the Lord our God. And so uh, look at the text here with me, particularly in verse 1 here, because there's some significant details that we have to bring to the surface that sets the tone in the way that Jonah prays. Notice to whom Jonah prays. Then the Lord prayed to the Lord. What's that personal uh, pronoun there? His God. Underline that. Don't miss that. Underline that in your Bible. The Lord is. His God, this is massive, church. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again this morning, so, 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 you, so, you, so you get this here. The, the difference in this personal pronoun is an eternal difference for us, church. This is him praying uh, to his God. Where in chapter 1, the sailors are praying, uh, as, as you may remember, they pray to the Lord in 1 verse 14. Oh Lord, let us not perish. They are praying to him as this distant deity that they do not know. They're praying to him in, in the litany of other prayers that they prayed to all the other false gods. They were in a pickle. They were uh, panicking because the storm was being hurled upon them. And so they're like, well, let's try this God. Let's try this God. Let's try this God. Let's try this God. They pray to the one true and living God because Jonah tells them to and that God comes through. But they are just praying and crying out to this distant deity that they do not know nor love. Jonah, on the other hand, ironically here, 
the one who up until this point has done a foolish thing after foolish thing. Now we come to chapter 2 and he is praying to the God he knows and loves despite his running. Despite his foolishness, now as God has swallowed him up, he prays to the God he knows and loves, the God who knows and loves Jonah. And the difference is massive for Jonah, and it's massive for us as well. Are you praying to a, a, a distant deity that you do not know or love, or are you praying to the one who lived and died on your behalf that has made himself known to you. The difference is eternal. The difference is the difference of salvation. Is, is Jesus just merely a, a God? Is he just the Lord? Yeah, he's the guy who died for sins, right? A mental assent to the facts that really can't be denied and uh, that he lived historically, that he uh, died this death cannot be denied. And so we can give mental assent to the reality of it, those actions, but the difference in believing, know that Jesus died for my sin, that Jesus is Lord of my life, is an eternal difference. That he, no, he, he died for my sin. It was my sin that put him there. He's the one. He lived the life that I couldn't live, and he died the death that I was supposed to die, and now he is my master, my Lord. He has say over my life. He guides uh, my life, my decisions. He is the one to whom I submit. He is the one to whom I obey. He has my good in mind, and therefore I love him and follow him. Church is the Lord your God. I pray that he is. I pray that he is. And that if, if, if not, if today you realize you've just been giving a mental assent that these are just facts in which you have adhered to and not a God whom you have a sworn allegiance to, then let today be the day of your salvation. Run no longer like Jonah. Pray even now, there in your seat, Lord, save me. Salvation belongs to you. See, without this fundamental truth, without uh, praying and knowing the Lord, then the hope of, uh, of the statement that we've just said that there is no situation is beyond God's rescue. This is for those who know and love God. This is the hope that we have in Christ. For God rescues those whom he loves. And see, despite Jonah's foolishness, he is beloved by God. And so what does Jonah do? He turns back to him in prayer in distress. It's in the darkness of the belly of the fish that Jonah sees the light. It's in that darkness that he sees the, the light. The Lord hears his voice. He has not closed his ears to his prayer. It is not muffled by the layers of flesh of the fish, but rather God can hear his cries for distress. And so notice his prayers of desperation here. He's praying to the God whom he knows and loves and who knows and loves him. And he calls out to the Lord out of his distress and he answered him. Out of the belly of Sheol, or the, uh, just the Hebrew word for the grave, in the ground. Out of the ground, out of the grave, he cries, and God hears his voice. Isn't that sweet, church? No matter where we are, as those loved by God, no matter the, uh, the, the 
pit that we put ourselves in, God still hears our voice. And look at how he acknowledges here in verse 3. Jonah acknowledges it was the Lord's providential and merciful hand that put him there. Look at verse 3. He says, For you, speaking to the Lord, you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And so as Jonah is praying this in desperation, he's also praying it out of gratitude, out of thanksgiving to God. He's not life miserable. That's not the sense in which he's praying this prayer. It is a desperate gratitude for the God. You did this to rescue me. And this church is the paradoxical nature of faith. And we can see God's discipline as our good, and thank him for it. God, I was making a mess of my life, and you swallowed me up. Thank you. And I think it takes the moments of desperation, whether in our life or as we are desperate for the ones that we love, it takes those moments of desperation when we see it. It's as if the only vantage point where we can see God's goodness and his discipline is when we are on our knees brought low before the Lord, pleading with God to make a way out of the sinful mess that we've made with our life out of the sinful mess that we've made in our marriage as we get on our knees and we see God will thank you for doing this of bringing me to my senses now give me a way out help me in this as we as we're on our knees pleading with the Lord because we've made a sinful mess with our kids or in our work or with our finances or whatever it might be it is God who has done this and we can thank him for it Jonah prays this way. There's prayers like this in the Bible. In Psalm 38, uh, King David prays this way. We're not told here, you just listen to these words from Psalm 38 and David's prayer here. We're not told the situation in which, we, which David is praying this, although as we read about King David's life, we find that he made quite a few blunders. He made a big mess of his life in a number of situations. But here's his, his prayer. Uh, he says, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. Here David is, like Jonah, recognizing it as God's disciplined hand. But he's saying, not in your wrath, Lord, but through your mercy. Now, just skip here on. He says, my, my wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate. All the day I go about mourning, for my sides are filled with burning, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. O oh Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs, my strength fails me, and the light of my eyes, it also has gone from me. My friends and companions stand aloof from my plague and my nearest kin stand far off. Hear the desperation in David's life as he recognizes the consequences, the discipline of the Lord on his life. But it goes on and says this, but for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer for I am ready to fall. My pain is ever before me. I confess my iniquity. I'm sorry for my sin. If the prayer ends, Psalm 38 ends this way. It says, Do not forsake me, O Lord my God. Be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord my salvation. 
See, David can pray a prayer of thankfulness. He can recognize it as God's hand, his merciful hand to rescue him, even in the midst of his own foolishness. Church, do we pray this way for ourselves and for the ones that we Are we pleading with the Lord because we believe in in God's relentless rescue of those that he he loves? Do we pray with a desperation like this on our knees, pleading with the Lord? See, we come because we believe that. We we pray with desperation, but the prayer goes on and teaches us how to pray. Because we believe these things, then our prayers turn to prayers of hope. And so as Jonah 2 teaches us how to pray, we pray with a desperation. We're coming to the Lord as the one who is able to uh, redeem this situation. We come because we believe he has the power. We pray with desperation and we pray with great hope. And that's really where his prayer turns to. But but let me just ask this. You know, we're thinking about Jonah's life here. He's gone, you know, he's a prophet of the Lord. He's given this assignment and Jonah 1, he does these foolish things. God, uh, you know, swallows him up. But how do we get to this place like Jonah of running from the Lord? Just generally speaking. Now, we don't really know uh, a whole lot about Jonah's life here, what was going on. You know, there's not like a, a, a profile, a background of all these things that we know. But just generally speaking, how do we, as believers, how do we get this place of running from the Lord? Well, I think gen- just... Knowing the human heart, as we look at Scripture here, I think it begins because we have expectations of God. We have expectations of how our life will look like. And then those expectations of what we have for our life, the hopes and dreams for our life, uh, don't happen in the way that we want them to or in the time frame that we want them to happen. And so those expectations with God. We're disappointed with the way our life is, is going. We wanted it to be one way and... That's not according to God's timeline. And so those expectations are, are met with disappointment. And then that disappointment left unchecked by uh, the things of God turns into bitterness in our heart, doesn't it? We begin to begin be bitter at the Lord. And then as things also happen and at the people in our life and people let us down, things don't go the way we hope. Somebody cuts us off in traffic. Our bonus isn't the, uh, isn't the amount that we wanted. And that bitterness just begins to take root there. And as bitterness takes root, then the next thing we know, we've just abandoned the Lord and we've, we're running from his presence. It started over here because we had these expectations that turned to disappointment that then took root as bitterness, and now we find ourselves running from the Lord. And so, church, what is it that keeps us from running but also breaks us out of that trajectory, breaks us out of that cycle of expectations, disappointment, bitterness, and abandonment? Maybe I should say, who is it that breaks us out of that cycle? It is God's relentless mercy towards us and his relentless rescue that comes toward us when we are running from him. It is the Lord who gives us hope. See, it is the Lord. We're just bent on this trajectory because of the sinfulness that remains in us. Yes, we've been set free from it, but because this sin remains in us, God in his great mercy is sanctifying us, is teaching us, and, and is patiently doing his good work in us, rescuing us again and again from ourselves, not in a regenerative sense, but in a sanctification sense. So this church gives us great hope, and our prayers turn to great hope, those hope for those but God moments, right? 
those hope for, uh, as we see in verse 4 and in verse 6, those yet the Lord blank moments in our life, the hope that we have for the prodigal to return after a party in the pig pen, right? And so like Jonah prays here and teaches us, we pray with hope. He said, I'm driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. He says, I've gone down to, to the very uh, roots of the mountain. There are bars like a prison closed around him. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O oh, Lord, my God. He, he's like, yet, Lord, even then, even as my life is wasting away, you swallowed me up. Church, behold again the mercy of God as we think that it is God who swallows his beloved with a fish. He does not send a shark to devour him. He does not allow him to drown. Yet in his merciful discipline, in his relentless rescue of Jonah, he sends a fish to swallow him up, to rescue him out of his foolishness. And Jonah gets this. Jonah has been given eyes to see. And so he prays with hope. Even though I was down here, I will yet again look upon your presence. Even though I was running from it, I will one day see your temple. May have felt like a prison there at the bottom of the sea, but this prison uh, sentence had a release date. Praise this is some pretty vivid imagery here, isn't it? As you think about it, he's down in the water, the weeds are wrapped about his head. Uh, this, is, this is like, it's, it's pretty vivid here. Have you ever had like a near drowning experience in your life? Pray not, pray not. It's, it's freaky. Actually, interesting, in God's providence, um, I was working on this message and just the other night, um, the, uh, at our, our dinner table. So we've started this thing uh, several weeks back, a month or so ago. And uh, at, at dinner time, we turn the lights off, we put our candles on, and we just kind of chill out uh, for dinner time. Meals become a family affair uh, for us. And when, if you're invited over, um, then, uh, then you get to participate in this. And we have a table topic, a, a question that we ask. And one of the questions this week was, uh, uh, what was the scariest moment uh, in your life? kind of interesting to hear our kids uh, talk about it. Usually, theirs were typically like bad dreams in the middle of the night. But mine, I'll tell you the scariest moment in my, my life. And it's actually, like I said, this is providential because I was thinking about this already in light of this passage. But several years ago, uh, I worked at Camp Eagle. And so God uh, uh, led Aaron and I uh, start the summer camp at Camp Eagle back in 2008. Camp Eagle is a Christian outdoor adventure camp uh, about two hours west of here. It's, it's uh, super awesome. So we were doing that. And it, during the year, there's all kinds of retreats and things that happen. And particularly men's retreats uh, were going on. So there's this big men's retreats. And speaking of that, commercial break, man camp. <laughs> Men get signed up today. Price is going up soon. If you got questions, we'll take them at the connection table, but get signed up uh, right now. Uh, it's going to be awesome. Uh, it's not at Camp Eagle. That would make it doubly awesome, but uh, Highland Lakes is pretty cool too. But at Camp Eagle, would come out, and men are just notorious for not picking things up. All the ladies in the house are like, amen, right? Men, if you want your, another commercial break, men, if you want your uh, marriage to grow, pick up your stuff. Put your dishes, your dirty dishes away. Pick up your dirty laundry. Don't leave your stuff uh, lay around. Men who are unmarried, you want to be marryable, clean up your stuff. I'm working on this too. Uh, but anyways, 
story, scariest moment of life. The men, they, we, had this, we had about a mile of waterfront, Camp Eagles on the headwaters of the Nueces River, crystal clear, beautiful, 72 degree water pumped out every day from the springs, it's glorious. But the men would leave their kayaks uh, just strewn up and down the, the shore on the river. And so at the end of the weekend, we'd have to go down and pick them up and, and, uh, and bring them all back to the landing and things. And, and so in this one particular section, it's about a half mile. And so me and my coworker, Chris, we decided we're going to make a workout out of it. You know, if we've got to go do this. So we had swim trunks on and our shoes on. And so we ran down the shore. We'd jump in, swim out to the kayaks, uh, get on and, and uh, have a, a paddle. And we paddle it up the, up the river and, and take it and land and then run back down. And so it was, it was a cool workout. It was a great circuit and didn't have to pay a gym membership for it. But we're doing that, and then one of, one of the kayaks is stuck over in the weeds in this section of the river. And so I go out there, and I don't even remember how it all happened. But long story short, is I tumbled out of the kayak and got myself tangled up in the weeds at the, at the, in the river. This is like eight feet deep or so. And I just got disoriented. The weeds were wrapped about my head, and I was down there. And you can imagine, like, panic sets in, right? And uh, I really have no idea. Somehow I became, uh, I got my wits about me and I came back up. But in that moment was probably the most scared I have ever been for my life. And God in his mercy rescued me. Now, I don't think I was like in a Jonah moment. I don't know that I was running from the Lord. Maybe I'm sure there's some foolishness happening uh, just in, uh, uh, because I'm a sinful man. But uh, God got my attention there. Thankfully, I got my wits about me, found the surface, and it was a close call. Praise God for his mercy to spare my life in that moment, right? And Jonah recognizes it's God's mercy to rescue him in this passage. As he's like, water closes in deep around me, weeds wrapped about my head. He's down at the roots of the mountain, like the, the, the very bottom of the earth. Land the bars like a prison. And he says, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Church, can you say that today about the Lord in your life? Has he brought you up from the pit? And thank him for it. Thank him for it. Though he was fleeing God's presence here, he uh, has hope to soon be looking upon God's temple, upon his presence where God dwelt. And so this passage here is it's teaching us to pray, teaches us, do not give up hope for that situation in your own life, for uh, the one whom you love, that God rescues those whom he loves. Your situation may seem like it is beyond the point of no return, which is really where he's going. This is like the bottom of the bottom. It may seem like it's beyond the point of no return. Your marriage may seem like it is beyond fixing or that your kids are beyond saving or that relationship is beyond mending. But if they still have breath in their lungs and if Jesus is still on his throne then you have hope don't doubt it don't be deceived to ever uh, doubt that it may seem like the situation couldn't get any lower that it is at the roots of the mountains and that it would take somebody to move the mountains to fix the situation that sounds kind of biblically familiar doesn't it for who is the one who can move even mountains? It is the Lord. And he may not do it according to your schedule. He may not do it according to your plan. It may take something as big and as bizarre as a fish to 
turn it all around. But this church is why we pray with hope. Why we pray uh, with hope to the Lord. We pray with desperation. We pray with a hope that he will turn it around because we believe. We believe that there is no situation beyond his relentless rescue. And the prayers then, as, the, as it comes to a close here, they get really practical as he teaches us to pray with thanksgiving as well. Pray with desperation, pray with hope, pray with thanksgiving. As Jonah is drowning or fainting away, as verse 7 says, he remembers the Lord. Maybe you've prayed prayers like this, or you've heard testimonies on the radio or things of, you know, those prayers that we pray when we're at the lowest, we're at our pit, and it's like the, you know, making a deal with the Lord. God, if you get me out of this mess, I will be in church every Sunday for the rest of my life. All right? Or something else. I will stop uh, you know, smoking cigarettes. I'll never touch them. If you get me out of it. No doubt some are, uh, are, are, are true and genuine. I don't know that this is necessarily how Jonah's praying. If he's like making a negotiation with the Lord. But see, here's the thing. When these type of prayers of desperation, of hope, and then thanksgiving are prayed from those who love the Lord from God's beloved. God hears from his temple and he answers them. So Jonah's praying, he's, he's, he's committing to say no to idols, and he's committing to saying thank you in worship. And so verse 8 is key to, to the whole understanding here. It's instructive for us, but it's also him putting out here uh, for us because our hope, the very hope in which we pray, the reason we can thank God is because hope comes from only one source. Our hope as believers comes from the Lord, the one who shows steadfast love. And the problem is, is that we look to idols for our hope. And by idols here, I don't think he means, and I don't mean here like the little bronze and wooden, you know, uh, uh, statues, the little miniature things that we think of like that jungle uh, residents are worshiping here. Idols are anything that we put in the place of God and look to for our transformation and look to for our escape, to, that we look to for our rescue. They come in all shapes and sizes. We look to recreational things. We look to food and substances. We look to media. We look to people, family members, or friends, good influences or bad influences. We look to the government for these things. And church, our hope, our hope for steadfast love, this relentless mercy and rescue comes from one. Salvation belongs to whom, church? The Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. See, we look to these idols for hope, for the escape, for the rescue. We look to it for the love that we uh, think we are missing in our life. But here's the reality, church. They can never deliver. It might give you a little temporary satisfaction. It might give you a little temporary hope or an escape or a, a means to not think about things for a moment. But as we look to them for our escape, for our rescue, we forsake the only source of hope and love that can truly deliver. The Lord. And so in this, like in, in the whole book of Jonah, it is both a, a warning to forsake idols and also a comfort to those who know the Lord that he has promised and he will always deliver. He will always deliver beyond what we can even fathom. Now, God will use means to accomplish his rescue. 
Not saying all those things are bad and we should just cut them out of our life. But see, our hope is not in the means, it is in the Messiah. It is in Christ. And sometimes God has to take us to the bottom to see really how powerless and hopeless our idols really are and how powerful and hopeful God really is. And here's the thing, church. We can thank God for these lessons, can't we? We can thank God for it. Even in the midst of the pain, we can be thankful to the Lord. Even in the midst of the difficulty, we can pray like Jonah, knowing that this is what God does. And this is ultimately what we do every time we gather here. We gather to say, God, I, with a voice of thanksgiving, I will serve you. I will sacrifice to you. I will do what you have called me to do. It's what we do every Lord's Day as we gather here this morning. We remember what we once were, who we once were, the life that we could be living even now, but for God's relentless rescue of us. And so we come together. We join our voices in singing and serving and praying and giving all with gratitude. Why? Because we are collectively saying uh, time and time again, Sunday after Sunday, salvation belongs to the Lord. Amen. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Only he can rescue his beloved. You can't. I can't. None of us can. But thank God that he does. Salvation is his work. Rescue is what he does. It's the line of work that he is in. And it's his business to be swallowing up and spitting us out for salvation, for our sanctification as he sends us then back on mission, all for his glory and our growth, and that's what we want, isn't it, church? Even as we pray, we are praying for God's transforming grace to be at work in our heart and in the lives of those who we are praying for. See, the thing is here, as as, uh, the details are coming out, we're wondering like, okay, did God really swallow Jonah with a fish and all that? The point is that his rescue was merciful and miraculous. All of God's rescue of us, as you think of your salvation, it is all of the Lord. He is the one who saved us from your initial salvation to every mess that he gets us out of. Thank God that there's no situation beyond his relentless rescue, right? No person beyond his relentless rescue. And this redemption is what keeps us going, what keeps us getting up in the morning, keeps us hopeful, keeps us believing, keeps us praying for that person, even when it seems that there is no way this will turn around. God will use even the bizarrest of means like a big fish through our persistent, desperate, hopeful, thankful prayers to the Lord. This is what it teaches us. This is how we pray. This is what we do as God is in the business of rescuing us. And so why don't we do that now? Why don't we spend some time again, just like we did last week. Let's just spend some time praying for a moment. Praying for ourselves. Maybe you find yourself today like Jonah. Or maybe coming out of a Jonah moment, God has just uh, uh, relentlessly rescued you and you need to offer some prayers of thanksgiving. Or that you've been praying for this person. We're going to spend some time. I will lead you from up here and we'll pray together and then we'll sing. And next week we'll get to discover what God sends Jonah back into. And so would you do that now? Would you bow your heads and let's pray together.